five, four, three, two, one, zero. Hello and happy Monday. Welcome to On Air with Douglas. Uh, today's a very special Monday. I hope everybody is enjoying today's Young and Restless. It's already aired over here on this side of the country, so we know that the Newman Ranch has been destroyed, thanks to Sharon Newman. So uh, what a better way to spend the afternoon after watching Young and Restless than to chat with Eric Braden. Eric, who plays uh, Victor Newman on Young and Restless for the past 30-plus years, is with me today. Welcome, Eric, to the show. Hello, doctors. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing over there? I'm doing fine. Thank you. You're welcome, and thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with me and then some fans afterwards uh, this afternoon. You bet. Uh, first, I want to welcome you to Twitter. You've been uh, so good with responding to your fans on social media. Uh, what do you think about Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> I, I never thought I would get into that. Um, <laughs> I thought that would be for my granddaughter's world, but um, it's it's very interesting, to be frank with you. It is one gets an immediate response to what one did, and um, I think it is very interesting. And there are some very thoughtful remarks and or tweets. And um, I must say, I I really appreciate. I've always appreciated um, people who watch the show and who express their opinions about it. And without fans, um, obviously, needless to say. Our industry wouldn't exist. So, um, um, in all the years that I've had public appearances here in Canada and in Europe, uh, I must say, 99.9% of people have always been very nice, very cordial, and uh, very warm-hearted. So, I'm very grateful to that. Yeah. Uh, a couple years ago, I would always see, uh, you know, the fans would see Victor on his cell phone, you know, and I was always thinking, I wonder if he knows about Twitter, if he knows that uh, <laughs> that Eric can also tweet with his fans. And it seems like maybe Melody brought you this way to the well, Twitter world. Well, she did. She, she tried to talk me into it, and <laughs> um, someone else did. And But Mel, yes, she was very, very persuasive. And <laughs> so finally, in order to, I think, to correct some uh, things that were said by others, uh, I thought, well, this might be a means to do that. Yeah, and, it is a great uh, way. There have been some scurrilous comments um, in the past, and I think this is a way of correcting some of the um, gross misinterpretations of, of what happened, you know? Yeah. Uh, you recently tweeted a picture of two dogs. You laying on the ground, laying on the yeah. ground with your two dogs. Are those your dogs? Uh, the shepherd is mine, and uh-huh. the other one is a dog that Kaiser plays with sometimes, and they have become friends. Oh. So, yeah. Uh, that's great. Um, when you first joined uh, Twitter not too long ago, I had tweeted you and said that you should write an autobiography because I'm sure you have many stories to tell. And uh, is that something that the fans can expect at some time? Since, you know, uh, I thought Melody... about that. Um, and whenever I think seriously about it, I sort of get bored listening to my own story. It's it's my <laughs> my granddaughter, Tatiana, whenever she's over, she asks me to tell her a bedtime story, and inevitably it's about my childhood. That's what she wants to hear. And, uh, yeah, maybe someday, um, yeah, there's something so utterly narcissistic about that as well, though. And it, it's, yeah. it, um, um, I don't know. I Part of me shies away from it. 
and uh, part of me, because I've been prompted very often by various people to do it, I might eventually do it. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, uh, I spoke to Melody a couple months ago on this on our on my show here, and she mm-hmm. said she was uh, working on hers. And then I just read Gene uh, Cooper's uh, recently, uh, who's coming to my show in a couple of weeks. So, so I'm excited right. to talk to her about that. And uh, so I mean, after spending this weekend researching and and really diving into you, Eric Braden, I've learned so much about you. So to hear it in uh, you know in your own autobiography would would be amazing uh, to do that if you get if you uh, decide to do that. Your well, that's very love, nice of you. Thank you. And I heard Jeannie, uh, Jeannie's uh, biography is, is pretty good. I've read some of it. I haven't finished it. And yeah. it's, it's rather well written, I must say. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, congratulations. Young and Restless just uh, celebrated its 10,000th episode. Uh, that had to be a huge, you know, a, an amazing accomplishment and milestone for everybody on set. You know, to be honest with you, one doesn't, only when that sort of thing happens, do you become aware of how long we've been doing it. And mm-hmm. one just isn't day-to-day one is not aware of it. Um, when I think back that I've been doing this for 32 years, I'm, I'm just, I can't believe it. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Uh, however, on a day-to-day basis, you just don't think it because you're always confronted with new situations, new dialogue, new scenes, and, um, um, you know, it's, it's, it is such a fleeting business. We work, we do... As you know, 80 pages in one day, roughly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is such an enormous pace, um, unlike nighttime television or film. To give you an example, when we do 80 pages in one day, a nighttime television series will, will do between 8 and 12 pages a day. And a film like Titanic, for example, maybe one or two pages a day. We do 80. That means it is, it is such an enormously rapid pace um, that you forget everything else. You have no time to really reflect upon it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And yeah. nor do we have any long time off in the summer. Uh, none, as a matter of fact. And about a week or two weeks for Christmas, and that's it. So there's really no time to reflect upon what one has done. But that is why it is nice now with Twitter um, to have immediate contact with people and realize that what you do uh, affect some people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that is that is nice to know. Yeah. Well, today, uh, for United States uh, viewers, we got to see the aftermath of the Newman Ranch being burned down. Uh, what was what was that like for you to know that that was going to happen? Uh, being that that was such a staple and uh, for us viewers and characters for so long. Well, I think it is taking an enormous risk in in some ways. Uh, I personally, to be frank <laughs> with you. Uh, Melody was very touched by it. She uh, she was very touched by it, I have to say. Mm-hmm. I was not as touched by it um, because I always felt it was a little creaky and getting a little old. Yeah. And um, uh, no, I, I was not that attached to it. Um, no, I, I can't honestly can't say that I was. Yeah. I always used to, when we were shooting, I said, damn it, let's revamp this place, you know. It's a little little old-fashioned now. But yeah. on the other hand, I knew that obviously people have become attached to that particular, particular living room. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had mixed feelings about it. But when yeah. you think about that kind of thing, uh, I remember growing up during the war and, and seeing houses around me, including our own, destroyed. 
and um, you know that's uh, that leaves a, a devastating imprint. And uh, so I, I know what what Melody felt, um, and I think it's it was kind of risky to do it, but and life goes on, you know. Yeah. Well, currently uh, you've you've been through. Uh, Victor's been through a lot. Uh, you just got back. Fr- uh, Victor just got back from losing his memory and ended up in the L.A. Harbors. Uh, returned to you know returned from the dead again because uh, uh, Victor likes to do that every once in a while. Uh, then Sharon burned down the Newman Ranch. Uh, so much is going on in Victor's life right now, and you, you're really playing an emotional, softer side recently. Uh, what do you what do you think about playing that that side of Victor versus the romantic lover and the ruthless businessman? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, I have the wonderful thing about the part is the fact that I was allowed to sometimes show a side that was more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, as I'm in, in in personal life, I can be both. Yeah. And, uh, depending upon the situation. So um, for a while, I think it is it is it's sort of a nice change uh, that he, because of all the things that have happened. Uh, shows a little softer side. Um, I personally would be affected by a lot of this stuff. Um, but trust me, Victor will come back. Oh, no two ways about that. And uh, in that sense, Victor Newman is like Eric Braden, or Eric Braden like Victor Newman. Uh, you come after me in one way, I'll come after you. And, All right. Um, and that That is... That is deeply within me, and that comes from growing up in a very tough time. Yeah. And um, losing my father early on, and, and uh, uh, my God, we, as kids, we fought all the time, I think. And when you lose your father early, as I did when I was 12 years old, um, and grew up in, in post-war Germany, which was literally destroyed, um, you learn to fight back, mm-hmm. or you go under. So uh, it's it's deep within me, yeah, to fight back. But that doesn't mean that I'm not vulnerable to a lot of things. Yeah, and obviously the things that happened to Victor lately, or to his family. What saddens me in the Victor Newman story is the fact that he has such, um, you know, complicated relations with his children. Mm-hmm. Because I, I I love my son, love my grandkids, and adore them, and uh, couldn't stand being being at odds with them. Yeah, Victor is. So if some people want to know how much of me is like Victor, well, there's some things, yes, they are uh, similar, but in other ways, no. Yeah. Um, decidedly, no. Yeah. I would never, I would never have that long of a, a difficult relationship with my son. Never. Yeah, I, fans, fans really want to see you, uh, Victor uh, and Adam. You know, kind of get. To a place like Nicholas and Victoria, uh, but yeah, but you see, the thing is that that's true, of course. And but then, then you, what fans forget is, if we all got along, it would be, it would be deadly boring. Oh, that's you know what I'm saying <laughs> it's, in other words, obviously, conflict is is the very essence of drama. So if if everyone just got along, honky dory, then uh, you'd fall asleep. Mm-hmm. So the essence of what we do is based on drama and conflict. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the actors, I mean, Michael Mooney is a is great playing that part. He's very good playing that part. Um, that is fraught with tragic potential. I know of relationships between fathers and sons 
that are very cold and very difficult. I personally, I, Eric Braden, can't stand that. I, I personally yeah. have a close relationship with my son, always did have. And we have our differences here and there, but generally speaking, I respect him enormously and, and uh, uh, adore my granddaughters. And I, I just don't like discord for too long of a time, you know. Mm -hmm. I personally couldn't be like that. And uh, yet Victor Newman um, obviously has a rather complicated relationship uh, with his family. And that is, if you know anything about psychology, you obviously realize that he, or you remember that he grew up in an orphanage. Mm -hmm. That means he was abandoned early on. And he is still, that leaves indelible scars for the rest of your life, I'm sure. Yeah. And uh, so you mistrust everyone. Victor Newman mistrusts everyone and um, would love to be loved and wants to love, but in the end very often doesn't trust it because he was abandoned at the age of seven by his mother at an orphanage and left there. And uh, boy, that must leave an indelible mark on mm -hmm. someone's brain. So that explains Victor Newman. I think when Bill Bell wrote that storyline, I had. I remember when I started Weinar, I wanted to leave after about a year, and I said it, it. I was sick and tired of playing bad guys. I'd done it on nighttime television for so many years. It's dehumanizing after a while, mm. and I was I was sick and tired of it. I was fed up. I wanted to leave the show, and then Bill and I sat down and I said, "Is there any way you can imbue this character with a past uh, that explains why he is who he is?" And then he came up with a brilliant storyline. Uh, the storyline of Victor having been left at an orphanage. And I remember doing that scene with, with Mel, with Melody. Uh, it was on a Christmas, before Christmas show. I forget when it was. must have been 80, maybe 4 or 5, something like that. Um, and I told her the story of my childhood experiences being left at an orphanage. And the moment I did that, it opened floodgates in me, and I knew then that I wanted to continue playing the, uh, that part because he had given it a complexity that had not been there before and a kind of complexity that you cannot play at nighttime television. Nighttime television used to at least then be divided into good guys and bad guys. You were either or. And daytime is so wonderful because it shows the whole, um, the whole rainbow of, of emotions um, of problems, of difficulties, and so you get a complexity in a character that you cannot usually get in nighttime television. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that fans cannot imagine is Genoa City without Victor Newman. Uh, can we be rest assured that Victor's going to be around a little bit longer? <laughs> <laughs> well, in the end, that is obviously not my decision. But, yeah. um, uh, yes, I you know, sign another long-term deal, and I love the show, love the character, and uh, uh, love my co-workers, uh, obviously very fond of Melody, and, and uh, she and I work together very well, but I work together very well with Peter Bergman, and mm -hmm. with Joshua Morrow, and with Michael Mooney, and uh, with Emilia, you know, who plays Victoria, and mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's, and Christian LeBlanc, and, and all of them, I mean, they're a wonderful mm -hmm. cast. And we really have a great cast, I must say. Yeah. I look at the show sometimes and say, damn, this is a very good cast. So yeah. um, there's no reason for me to to entertain any 
anything else at the moment. Yeah. Um, I read Michael Maloney's book uh, on uh, William J. Bell. He mentions that the role of Victor was only intended for a short arc, and right. when he heard and saw you, he realized he'd keep you longer. Uh, how did the role come up for you, coming from uh, prime time doing guest stars to daytime? Why the switch? Well, I'd done films, I'd done Broadway, I'd done you know guest star on, on more television shows than probably anyone at the time. And um, um, to be quite frank with you, I was tired of it. I was tired of playing... When you guest star, you play nothing but bad guys. Mm-hmm. And I'd had it. I, I was just burned out. And then someone suggested um, to read for... Uh, they asked about um, me doing that role and why not. And I had no idea what a soap was. I'd never seen a soap before. So I asked an old friend of mine, Dabney Coleman, that wonderful mm-hmm. actor. Yes. And uh, he and I used to play tennis together. And I said... Listen, what's the soap? And they offered this thing to me. What do I do? He says, do it. You'll love it. And based upon that recommendation, because I respect him a lot as an actor, I sort of thought, well, I'll do it for three months. And I signed a deal for three months. I didn't want to do it any longer. And uh, the rest is history. So 32 years later. <laughs> and here, here we, we are. are. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, William Bell was like, is, is the father of soap, the soap genre. He created two brilliant shows, and he worked on several other ones. Uh, he yes. really knew how to tell a story. Uh, yeah. There's no one like him in the business. What no. did you personally learn from uh, Mr. Bell um, that you can share with us? Well, it is very important that when you do something in life that you're good at, you stay with it and you hone it and you file away at it and you 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 improve upon it uh it's one of the hardest working men i've ever known he would be in the studio sometimes at four in the morning and he lived and breathed that show and um i, I learned a lot through this whole soap medium i must say um and twitter now allows me to even um, see the effects of what one does more immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, that's a good question. I've not, I, I, I miss Bill, I must say. He, when he ran the show, there was one boss and that was it. And he yeah. did not, he was in that sense, sort of like Victor Newman, he would not tolerate anyone coming in and, and giving him any advice. He just knew what he wanted and that's it. And um, I respect him greatly for that. I respect him greatly, period. Yeah. He was married to a wonderful wife, uh, uh, Lee Philabel, a sweet, sweet lady, very bright, but what a lady. Uh, Mm. What a lady, I must say. And uh, they obviously have raised um, three great children, and uh, uh, Bill Jr. and then Bradley, who runs Bold and Beautiful, and Laura Lee, one of the sweetest women to... I ever work with, and um, kind and generous and unpretentious, and uh, so I've, I have nothing but respect for the family. I must say. Yeah, and I'm, and us fans are thankful for Lee's uh, input because she brought in a lot of the social issues over the years, like yes. AIDS and and homelessness, and you know the different stories. And that's really well, I think what keeps a lot of viewers there because we can relate to. To it, it's not one of those shows like uh, Sunset Beach or some of the uh, Passions, which is like 
aliens and spaceships and all this other stuff. This is realistic. In other real words, stuff. It's, it's, excuse me, it's bullshit. Yeah. So the other stuff. In other words, what, what YNR has always done and done well mm -hmm. is to deal with real problems and uh, deal with people's real emotions um, so that, that people who view the show obviously can identify with a lot of the issues and they know they've gone through similar stuff. Yeah, and uh, Lee Phillip Bell, she had a talk show in Chicago, uh, pre-Oprah, and uh, so she was very aware, very attuned to contemporary social problems. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, now with the new team, uh, well, Josh is back. Josh Griffith is back, and then with Jill Farron Phelps set uh, in place at YNR, are you excited and optimistic about the future of Young and Restless now? Uh, well, I mean, I've always been, one is, one is excited with whoever comes there, mm -hmm. and uh, excited is too, too strong of a term. I, you know, one, one waits and sees, and uh, so far they have not disappointed, but I like Maria Bell very much as well. Mm -hmm. I like the other writers prior to that as well. I think writing for this, for this genre is arguably one of the most difficult things to do in our business. It's horrendous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I have such respect for the writers that I cannot really um, do I think some of them may have gone the wrong direction here and there. Sure, but then you, um, you know, that is your purview as a, as a writer to attempt something new. And But to do this day in, day out, for about 25 characters, imagine that, every mm -hmm. single day, you've got to come up with some new story, new dialogue, uh, you've got to be aware of what contracts the actors have, how many times a week they um, are supposed to be on the show, etc., etc. So it's a very difficult, very, very difficult job, mm -hmm. and one that most of them don't get enough credit for. Yeah. So I have respect. I, I, my son is a screenwriter, and, uh -huh. and uh, I, I just have nothing. I know how hard he works, and... Um, I can only imagine how difficult it must be to spin this yarn day in, day out for as many as 25 characters. That's mm -hmm. extraordinary. So I have nothing but respect for the writers. Yeah. Um, I started my show in December, um, as I was telling you before, and uh, I uh, originally wanted it just for a sounding board for fans to call in and talk about their soaps, their favorites, you know, what they want, et cetera, et cetera. And then I decided to, uh, I thought, well, let's see if I can get any of the cast members to come. Well, 100 cast members later, I've talked to people from all daytime of, uh, of shows that are on air and off the air, and uh, I've spoke to uh, most of your on-screen wives, uh, Melody, Signe, <laughs> Barbara, Crampton, Eileen, Maura, oh and even God. Sharon Case. I've talked to most, I think everybody except uh, Meg, who played Julia. Yeah. Um, when you first started the storyline with Melody and, and Nikki was working at the Bayou, uh, did you imagine that she was the one for Victor and would up being married and remarried so many times to the state? No, I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. None. You, you, you know, when you're in this business, uh, you do not um, uh, prognosticate anything. You, you just, mm -hmm. you just don't know. Uh, you literally don't know. You wait and see how things develop. And um, I have never interfered with writers, contrary to, to what some people have claimed. I suggested one storyline in 32 years, and uh, that was it. And otherwise, I, you know, I may uh, sometimes call about one thing or the other, but never to determine a storyline nor suggest it, to be frank with you. And mm -hmm. I've done that with one, and that's it. 
And uh, which story one, one line was that one? Uh, that was a long time. Well, let's not talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. Okay. That's okay. Fine. If you don't mind, I I'm Oh, no, no, know. that's fine. So, um, uh, yeah. Young and Restless can be seen in over 30 foreign countries, over five continents. So it's probably nowhere in the globe that you can go that you're not recognized, right? Uh, that is a blessing overall, to be honest with you. Uh-huh. Um, I would say, again, in 99% of all cases, that has been a blessing. And uh, when you walk the streets of Paris or Istanbul or Tel Aviv or Toronto or Montreal um, or anywhere here in America, of course, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's very nice. People are very nice, very, very nice, and I appreciate it deeply. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's um, it's odd to hear your own voice in a different language, in Turkish, for example. Uh-huh. Um, but um, it, and it's it's it makes you it makes you be so aware of what Hollywood, the power that Hollywood has, uh, the power that television has, the power that American television has. It's extraordinary, absolutely yeah. extraordinary. You yeah. walk the side street somewhere in Istanbul, and suddenly, you know, five veiled women come up and, and start blushing, and you can see it almost through the veils, and and talking and excitedly and all that. And you say, "My God Almighty, this damn thing plays everywhere." Mm-hmm. And um, and the kibbutzes of of Israel, and and. Um, streets of Paris, you know, the Parisians who are usually intellectually rather snobbish, and, and suddenly, you know, the whole demeanor breaks down. So, Ula Victor, uh, it, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, and it makes you, um, it makes you feel very blessed, and, and I have a different reaction than um, some people may. I'm just, I'm just stunned by it. I'm awed by it, I got to tell you. Uh, but it is very nice, no question. Yeah. So it opens doors. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah. Um, when you were uh, given the breakdown of the role of Victor Newman um, when you first started, what was it? What was it initially? What was I Victor? didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. Um, mm-hmm. I just I thought this is more of the same bad guy nonsense that I played for so many years, and was not particularly intrigued by it, not at all. And uh, as I said, I started being very intrigued. When the night that I told Melody or Nikki in uh, the old um, living room about my past, then I knew I was going to stay mm-hmm. because it gave this character the complexity that that I had always longed for uh, in acting and had never really been able to do. You know. Now, uh, Victor was, as you mentioned, was a, was a, was a, in an orphanage, so we really didn't see a lot of on-screen family. Uh, we saw the brother Matt, uh, and then we saw your your father, uh, Victor's father, later in years. George uh, Kennedy. Yes, George Kennedy came. Who had played. abandoned his family, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Speaking but of it, Matt, ha- have you ever seen uh, Robert again, the guy who played no, your brother? Never, never again. Um, never again. But George Kennedy, of course, uh, I had him in. The film I did called The Man Who Came Back. Mm-hmm. And um, did you see that film? Yes, I did. I actually got right. my body. As soon as I as soon as I saw it was you was in it, I had to go check it out. Well, not really into not. those type of films, but I did enjoy this. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, George Kennedy came to mind after he had played my father on the show, and I 
the greatest and deepest respect for that man. Mm-hmm. What I tell you, when we did that film, he was already in his 80s, and he's a big man. He's, he's my God, you know, close to 300 pounds. He's about six foot four. Just a oh, big wow. man. And what uh, what a gentleman and what a professional actor. Mm-hmm. We were filming in a lot of heat, and uh, he was out there uh, in the sweltering heat and um, did all kinds of scenes. I mean, I, I have just the deepest respect for him. Of course, he told all these wonderful stories about old Hollywood, which I still partly remember, but he, of course, remembered much more. Mm-hmm. And um, I just have the deepest respect for him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one one person who played like a family was uh, Victor's best friend, Colonel Douglas Austin, played by the wonderful Michael Evans. Yes. Uh, what was it like working with him? Michael was a Brit, you know, and mm-hmm. um, <laughs> he was a, he was a it was a great sense of humor, mm-hmm. and um, um, that was fun. I mean, he just had a great sense of humor, great yeah. timing, and it was great to work with him. Yeah. Yeah. I, he, I, he is myth. I must say I've I've missed him sometimes. He he just was a uh, was a great sounding board, and I think it worked very well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he was the only one who could tell tell Victor what to do or what he what did, what he did wrong. Yeah. And uh, he unfortunately um, just didn't want to do it anymore. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's I have enormous admiration and deep affection for Jeannie Cooper, mm-hmm. who uh, Catherine and. Uh, that she at her age still learns all these lines and, and does it well and and always in, in good cheer and, and I, I just I admire her greatly. Yeah. Um, well, as I was telling you, I was watching one of the, your interviews online. Uh, it was a, about a three-hour interview, and I learned a lot of stuff. And uh, I, I'm going to put the link to that interview up for fans to watch because it's really a, a great insight into your life. Um, that was with the uh, who was that with again? With the uh, um, archives of. American television. American television. I see. Okay. Yes. Oh yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, I learned that you came to the United States from Germany as a young man aboard an ocean liner and had your first American meal, a hamburger and a milkshake, at the Empire State Building. You bet. Um, <laughs> you must have been quite relieved to see the Statue of Liberty inside. And uh, so when you got here, did well, you? Well, it's not, not a question of relief. It was a question of just, just um, you know, just. Uh, um, you must remember, I, I grew up in a democracy, so I, I did not grow up. In, in Hitler Germany, uh, I grew up in the consequences of Hitler Germany, uh, which wasn't too pretty because we grew up with, um, um, you know, with bomb craters all around and, and homes destroyed and um, family members and veterans coming home from the Russian front or the Western front with one arm or no legs or one leg and blind. And I mean, as a kid, I saw more than any kid should see. And so, uh, but I grew up in a democracy. Germany obviously became a democracy in 1949. So um, um, it wasn't that I escaped tyranny at all, not at all. Mm -hmm. To me, coming to America was adventure. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a cousin. uh, She came from Hamburg, and she was a doctor, and she went to, she taught at the Medical University of Texas in Galveston. And she came over one day to Germany when I was, uh, I was 17. I just won the German Youth Championship in track and field and discus and javelin and shot put with my team. And I was always good at, at, at languages. And she said, do you want to come to America? I said, well, that sounds interesting. And um, long story short, uh, a year later, I was on 
on board the Hanseatic and with a suitcase in my hand and I said goodbye, a very tearful goodbye to my family. And um, I must say one of the most difficult moments of my life was, was you know, that, that departure from a country that I loved and a uh, family that I loved and uh, so a girlfriend that I loved and um, 18 years old. And at that time, one didn't fly back and forth as frequently as one can do now. So mm-hmm. when you left, and you really left, you know. Yeah. And uh, then on board that ship, I wanted to impress an older woman. She was 25, I think. She was at the bar at night, and, and uh, so I bought my first pack of cigarettes, stupidly. I never smoked before. I wanted to impress her and seem older. So, um, and I started smoking then. Anyway, when I came to uh, five days on the ocean, then we came to New York Harbor at about 6, 6.30 in the morning, and it, my God, for someone who comes from a village in Europe, and suddenly you see the skyline of New York is is that's overwhelming. It uh, gives mm-hmm. you goosebumps. And uh, then we landed in the 34th Street docks, and uh, um, I had to see the Empire State Building. So um, went up to the Empire State Building, had my first cheeseburger and chocolate milkshake. <laughs> and I loved it. And I was picked up by uh, that cousin's sister, who was also my cousin, Vika Thompson, who was a psychiatrist by profession. And she had also come to America in the 50s, early 50s. And um, we had a meal up there. And, and I asked her if the chocolate milkshake and cheeseburger were healthy. And she said, oh, yes. And of course, like most doctors, she didn't know a damn thing about nutrition. <laughs> so I had nothing but cheeseburgers and milkshake for a long time <laughs> afterwards. So, you still like them now? I love it. Every so often. Oh, every so often. My son and I, we went to see the Laker game yesterday, and afterwards I said, let's go have a hamburger. <laughs> and uh, we had a juicy hamburger. So, yeah, every so often I do. Yeah. Um, so how did the name Eric Brain come about? Because your birth name is Hans Gudegast? Hans right? Gude, Gudegast. Yeah. Gudegast, okay. Gudegast. And, uh, in fact, my son's name is Christian Gudegast. Mm-hmm. And he writes under that name. And anyway, um, I did a film at Universal Studios called Colossus, the Furban Project. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did that in 1968 or 69. And I started it. And uh, it was my first starring role in the film. And have you seen that film? No, but I'm going to I'm gonna see what I can do to get it. So well, I can it's a it. very interesting Colossus. The mm-hmm. Forbin Project, F-O-R-B-I-N, and it's a damn interesting film. And uh, Spielberg used to come to the set at Universal every day to watch. It was directed by Joe Sargent, who has directed other films. And Spielberg was interested in how the film was shot. And it's a science fiction film, ahead of its time. And uh, But I did a screen test for it, and Lou Wasserman, who was then running... Universal Studios, the most powerful man in, in this town, said he wanted me for the part, but no one with the German name would start an American picture. Mm-hmm. And I knew of that prejudice, obviously because of both world wars. So I was first most reluctant to change my name, but I was doing a film in Spain at the time with Raquel Welsh and Bert Reynolds and Jim Brown called A Hundred Rifles. And uh, the call came in to my from my agency, uh, saying 
you very badly to star in this film, but you've got to change your name. And I said, no, under no circumstances, and hung up and then discussed it with my wife afterwards. Mm-hmm. And um, and she told me, she says, you know, a lot of, uh, you and I have discussed that a lot, and obviously there is that lingering prejudice. Um, maybe it's time to face reality. So finally, I sort of agreed and uh, in my mind, and uh, I took the first part of the village I'm from in Germany called Bredenbeek, and the first part, Braden, and uh, Eric is a uh, name in my family, and, and obviously it's a sort of a Northern European name. Could be British, could be Swedish, could be anything. So um, I had to have something that I could relate to that had to do with me because I'm very proud of my roots, and uh, had I given myself another name, I would have sort of felt like a traitor in a sense. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm close to my family, and I was close to my father, and so I needed something that I could hold on to. And so I took it from the village in which I grew up. There you are. But take a look at the film Colossus, the Foreman Project. Interesting yeah. science fiction film. Yeah. After which uh, they approached me for James Bond. Ah, as, yeah. as Bond? Uh, yeah. Cabby uh, ah. Broccoli approached me. He had only seen that film and uh, had not seen The Rat Patrol and all that. Didn't know I was from Germany. And uh, no one ever knew unless I told them. And thought I'd somehow belong to the British Commonwealth. And. Uh, we had a luncheon. We discussed the whole thing, and then when he says, "Do you still have a have a British passport?" I said, "No, I have a German passport, an American passport." He says, "Well, that's that's like a curtain went down in front of his face, you know." Mm-hmm. And, uh, he then told the agency that no one who was not uh, a citizen of the British Commonwealth uh, would ever play James Bond. So that was oh. the end of that. Yeah. Uh, that that would have been. I mean, well, we would have never had Victor Newman, I'm sure. Cause well, you know, interesting. You know, uh, you never know where where this life takes you. Yeah, that's that is true. And primarily this profession. Yeah. Um, in that interview I was watching with the Archive of American Television, mm-hmm. um, I had to laugh because you're, you sh- you sh- sh- sorry you shared your story of when you first learned about American cursing and how you <laughs> loved it and was fascinated by that. Do you mind sharing a little of that with us? <laughs> I never forget. I came to this town with well, I came to America with fifty bucks in my pocket, and I came to LA via Montana, where I was a cowboy for a while, and then I got a scholarship at the University of Montana, Missoula in track and field and discus travel and shot put. Long story short, I finally came to L.A. via a river trip in Idaho on the Salmon River, the river of no return. I was the first one with an American guy, Bob McKinnon, to go up and down the Salmon River. No one had ever done it before, up and down, not just down, but up and down, mm-hmm. against the rapids and down again. And we made a documentary film with which we came to L.A. Uh, it was shown here at a press conference. And I did all kinds of interviews on television shows about that uh, trip. And uh, then I ended up here in L.A. We each got 500 bucks for on the trip. And that's all the money I had. And obviously I began to look for jobs and started parking cars. And then I found another place to wash dishes. And then 
worked for Beacons Moving Furniture, and you know, move pianos and furniture. And I mm-hmm. remember, uh, never forget. I, I remember the the time of day. It was in the afternoon, and I remember the stairs. And it was somewhere in West LA. We had to carry up uh, a fridge. And this old American, this crusty old American guy, was on top of the fridge. He was pulling, and I was at the bottom holding on. And we were slowly moving it up the stairs. And the old ladies stood on top of the stairs and said, Now, don't touch this, and don't t- touch that, and don't ruin the paint job. And <laughs> he said, he said, Lady, will you shut the up? And you know what? I won't say the word on television, on, on, on radio, but... Will you shut the up? Yeah. You mm-hmm. can imagine the verb. So I thought, wait a minute, shut the, he's turning a verb to fornicate into a noun. How does that work? <laughs> and I was trying to translate it. This is German. I, I, I'll never forget that moment. I loved it. I love American swear words. I love it. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I will not burden you with it here on the show. So I love it, though. And... Um, to swear in English is, is is different than to swear in German or in Spanish mm-hmm. or in French, but it's 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 um, I I think in, in in America it's it's great. I love it. I love a lot of the expressions. Yeah, um, I also learned that a lot of your who you are today is based on their discipline from sports and uh, history of being involved in uh, discus and javelin and uh, soccer and tennis. Right. Uh, do you do you play uh, tennis now or auto racing I, or any of the stuff that you I, I play tennis, not quite as often. I go through phases. And I used to, as I said, go up in track and field. and But we also played ice hockey at the time as a kid and obviously some street soccer. But ice hockey, I got my worst spring concussion. And... Uh, and street soccer, and then uh, mostly track and field in a serious way, won the German Youth Championship, and with my team. And then here in America, uh, started in track and field at the University of Montana. And later, when I came here to LA, um, I started playing soccer, and because I got paid for it, and uh, ended up playing for a team called the Maccabees, uh, the only Jewish team in, in the town here. And I'm not Jewish. I'm grew up as a Protestant, um, but a lot of the management were German Jews, and they spoke German, and they offered me pretty good money to play for the team, and uh, uh, I was also determined to um, eradicate this notion that Germans are uh, genetically predisposed to anti-Semitism. Nothing could be further from the truth, and um, Jews were more successfully assimilated in Germany prior to Hitler than anywhere in the world. More assimilated than here in America, more than in England, more than in France. People forget that. And Hitler undid all that, as he undid a lot of things. Long story short, I played for that team, and um, it was an interesting cultural experience, I must say. And we had seven or eight Israelis on the team, and uh, uh, two Brazilians, and two Mexicans, and two Ethiopians all top players, and then I was the token German along with someone else. And uh, we won the U.S. Championship in 1973. Mm. And um, the team won the championship five times. The Open Cup, it's called. And more than any other team ever since. So, um, obviously, I was 
working full-time during that time on various shows, but at night we have practice. So um, sports have been, I must say, primarily in Germany when I grew up. Uh, my experience in sports helped me get over the rather depressing. After my father died, we lived in absolute poverty, and I had to work every summer on farms to uh, earn my pocket money. Uh, I've earned my own money since I was 12 years old and never been supported by anyone. Uh, no pocket money, nothing. We had to earn that all ourselves. Work on farms, usually, in the summer. And uh, sports was the only only thing I really looked forward to, you know, mm-hmm. that and girls. Uh, and so, um, um, yeah, it has meant a great deal to me. And then here, winning the U.S. Championship in soccer also meant a great deal to me. Oh, I bet. And uh, so I, I, I'm addicted to working out. And but now, when here in L.A., I started going to uh, the ghetto gyms. There was a gym called the Hoover Street Gym, and where all the black fighters were. And Kenny Norton worked out then, and a lot of people did. And. Um, was in the ghetto of L.A., and then I went there, and they were always very, very nice, and they respected the fact that I came down there and boxed with them. And um, So it, 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 then I did that for a while, and then um, I just do something every day, you know. Then I started Olympic lifting, which we did for a while in track and field. It's not the Schwarzenegger kind of lifting, which is purely narcissistic stuff, but it's it's Olympic lifting where you do clean and jerks and uh, deadlifts and uh, um, overhead presses. I won't bore you with the details of that. Um, then I play tennis a lot. And I love sports. And had I grown up in America, I think I would have loved to have played football. I, I, oh, yeah. I love football. Love it. And uh, watch it. And um, like basketball a lot. And uh, But I must say football is my favorite game over here. Internationally, obviously, I'm, I'm a huge soccer fan and a uh, big fan of a number of teams, you know, um, Manchester United, obviously, Arsenal, Chelsea, uh, then the German team Bayern München, and my team from Hamburg, and then a big fan of Real Madrid from Spain and Barcelona, and the Italians, uh, AC Milan, then Juventus, and then so I, I like teams from all over. I just, I, ha, I don't have any, I was a big fan of the L.A. Rams and the L.A. Raiders as long as they played here in L.A. And when they left, I was, along with a lot of Los Angeles uh, citizens, very upset that they had left. So I lost my passion for one particular team. But I follow, obviously, I'm, Actually, I'm an old fan of the old NFC, you know, uh, Chicago Bears and Green Bay Packers and the Vikings and, and the 49ers and, and um, Dallas Cowboys and um, the old-time teams still mean more to me because they were um, they were playing when I came here in 1960, 1959, 1960. So, um, but now I watch individual players more. I'm a huge fan of, of Peyton Manning. I have just nothing but the deepest respect for 
him, don't know him, but uh, after what he has gone through with his neck surgery to play as brilliant, brilliantly as he does, I just take my hat off. And I remember his father. I think he played Archie Manning. Didn't he play for University of Alabama, I think? I'm not mistaken. So. Yeah, and then he later on played shortly for the Saints or whatever. I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, to have raised two sons who are that successful, that's remarkable. And um, then I was a big fan of Brett Favre. I think Brett overstayed his welcome a little bit. Uh, he probably should have, when he left the Green Bay Packers, he should have quit. But I have great respect for him. Uh, what a quarterback. And I, rem I go back to uh, Joe Namath and then Dan Marino. You know, these were, and Roger Starbuck, and then uh, these were all great, great players and quarterbacks. And uh, I worked with Jim Brown, one of the great quarter, uh, running backs of all time, uh, one of the great athletes of all time. And uh, met Tony Dorsett, and then uh, met O.J. Simpson before O.J. got into trouble. And um, so then I met uh, Ray Butkus, who used to play for the Chicago Bears. What a! I remember asking Jim Brown once who he feared to play against the most, and he said Dick Butkus. And when I met Butkus, I what a powerful character! He had hands like a toilet seat, and then a head like a oh, like a bucket. That's <laughs> a big man, and he was fearsome. I remember Ray Nitschke the Green Green Bay Packers. And uh, the Steel Curtain, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and, and so I have a lot of lot of memories of, of football, and I respect a lot of players who are playing now. Look at the Clay Matthews from the Packers. What a wild man! He's incredible. Ray Lewis, fantastic, and uh, Randy Moss, the wide receiver. So I, I I like a lot of football, and of course the, you know. Uh, Brady, quarterback of the Patriots. What a fantastic team. What a fantastic quarterback. So um, now let's hope that the Jets will get their, <laughs> their thing in gear, you know. Yeah. Make up their minds between Tebow and, and, and Sanchez. Anyway, yeah. there you are. <laughs> do you get to go back and visit your family in Germany often? Yeah. yeah. I do about every two or three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I read that they don't get young and restless in Germany. Is that true? No, they don't. It's it's kind of it's kind of ironic, you know. It's it's very popular in France and Italy and other countries, and um, never really took hold in Germany. Oh, they made the mistake of playing it there in the morning and mm -hmm. thinking they could imitate America in that sense. It just mm -hmm. didn't work. Yeah. Uh, are they able to see your work though through other means? Uh, like I have no idea, and I, I don't really care. It's kind of nice to go and not be recognized. You know, sometimes you oh. just want to want peace and quiet. I go to the countryside in which I grew up, mm -hmm. and uh, and just get on the bicycle with my brothers or whatever, mm -hmm. or with old friends, and I bullshit with the old farmers on the fields where I used to work, and I love that. I love that to do that undisturbed. You know. Yeah, that is, that, there's got to be that one place you can go to have some uh, solace to yourself. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> you go down memory lane. You know, I bicycle. as kids, we used to bicycle all across northern Germany mm -hmm. and, uh, during vacation. Yeah. And, uh, very fond memories of it, yeah. 
I, I bet. Well, listen, I could talk to you for hours. This is, I mean, you, I was so nervous beforehand, but you've made me feel so Don't comfortable. Um, very nice but, it's very nice to do what you're doing, Doug. It's, it's, <laughs> that's great. And um, I've got some fans that want to talk to you, and so oh, we're sure. gonna, we'll, uh, we'll do that, and then we'll wrap this up so you can get back to your day. Go for so, it. So um, no problem. First up is Anthony from Connecticut. Go ahead. Hi, Eric. How are you? Hey, Anthony. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I just wanted to uh, call and just uh, thank you for um, all the years of uh, portraying Victor and the Young and the Restless. You um, are, you know, one of a kind. There's no other actor that could ever play, you know, the role. And uh, I do want to just thank you. I've I've written you over the years, and you are always very kind to respond and, uh, you know, always send you know, my magazines that I sent to you, um, and you always used to send them back to me, and I just wanted to thank you for that. Um, my question is, what, um, I, a lot of scenes you've played over the years, you know, must have stayed um, with you. I'm just curious um, what, you know, certain scenes that you have fond memories of. One for me is uh, the scene where you play with Peter Bergman and uh, Victor collapses and Jack kind of walks over him and uh, just kind of leaves him, you know, laying there. I thought that scene said so much about their relationship at the time. Um, are there any scenes that have just stayed with you? That's a good question. Anyway, thank you for calling and thank you for saying those nice things. Uh, yes, there are, that scene obviously is a memorable scene. Um, I have always enjoyed working with Peter Bergman. Um, that enmity between him and me works very well. Uh, the scene that I remember the most um, always comes to mind very quickly is when Victor first meets his mother. Uh, he doesn't mm. trust that it is his mother, played by Dorothy McGuire, and who passed away recently, by the way. Mm. And uh, she comes to his house and he doesn't trust uh, it is indeed his mother until she talks about a hole in the sweater. And only she could have known that. And she knew I had that when she left me at the orphanage. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea how to play that scene before. I had no, no clue. And when we played it, it, it just... Something happened that I, I... It was a mixture of anger and sadness and fury and loneliness and, and all kinds of things all came into me at once. I, I will never forget that scene. Um that and then the scene with George Kennedy when I encounter him as my yeah. father and then of course there are countless scenes I did with Melody yes. and one of the scenes I alluded to earlier where I tell her about my, my childhood and mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah those are but I would say the scene with the mother for one reason or another really touched a, a chord in me yeah and um then on other shows, uh, I enjoy doing the gun smoke. I did four or five gun smokes and um, enjoyed those enormously. They were the greatest people to work with, very professional. And when James Arness, um, who played the lead, when he laughed, he laughed like a horse. He was a huge man, about six, 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 seven. And when he started laughing, you, <laughs> we couldn't do scenes. And uh, then the Mary Tyler Moore show. They were just the nicest people to work with. And I knew Ted and, and, and Ed Asner and those guys before, mm -hmm. and Gavin McLeod, and, Ed, and Mary, she was just wonderful to work with. It was a great show to do. Um, so those are some of my favorite 
moment, yeah. Well, I want to thank you for taking my phone call, and as always, um, keep up the show, you know. You bet. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks, Doug. All right. uh, Next up is Jamel from New York. Go ahead. Hi, Doug. Uh, Hello, Mr. Brayton. Hello, Jamel. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You know what? I would also say what the first call say is for me, um, I think this year that you've been, you know, this work and these um, storylines has been wonderful. I think that the uh, the scene, especially with your daughter, the, the girl, the woman who played your daughter on the show, right. has been very com- has been very complex. And um, I think that you'd probably be up for Emmy next year. I just have to put it up there because the scenes have been really, it's been wonderful. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. And I was just going to say that, um, you know, the, the home has burned down. And I, I watch these shows when I get home from work on TiVo. And the home has burned down, and he's lost his, uh, the company temporarily because we know as the audience he's always going to, you know, end up on top. You're uh, Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> but um, going to come as, back. Yeah. And as the actor playing this just, you know, wonderful character, where do you want uh, Victor to go in 2013? Is he going to be more... Family oriented or more, you know, more business. You know, to be honest with you, I, I don't know what the writers have in, in, in store for me, and I will, uh, I, I will play what what they write. Um, hopefully, he for a while will devote his time uh, to his family a bit more. But again, I come back to what I said at the outset of the onset of the show that without conflict, there is no drama. That's so right. obviously, inevitably, you and I know that eventually uh, the shit is going to hit the fan again, yeah. and uh, things are going to get uh, rough again. You know, so I wonder how long this interlude, this peaceful interlude, will last. We'll see. Yeah. Let's enjoy it while it lasts. Oh, I'm <laughs> enjoying it. I swear yeah. that with you and Amelia, I think of her name. Oh, she's uh, wonderful this, to work with. Yes, the, I adore working with her. I really do. Those scenes are very, very powerful, and uh, that this, yeah, it's just wonderful, very wonderful. I think everybody that you've worked well, with, the ladies. She's such a sweet person to work with. She's just a wonderful, uh, just a wonderful person to work with. Has a great disposition. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank, well, thank you, and Doug, you're doing a great job, and thank you, thank Mr. Brayton. Thank okay. you. All right. All right. Thank you for calling. All right. Up next is Dan from New Jersey. Dan, right. go ahead. Hi, Eric. Hi, Doug. Hi, hey, Dan. I am wa- I am well, and I'm very excited to be talking to you, Eric. <laughs> I've been, right. watching this, been watching this show basically since Out of the Womb, so um, I'm a huge fan of Y&R, and I'm a very huge fan of you. I appreciate um, it. Um, what actor or character would you like to see come back to Y&R that you think Victor would, it would be a good um, interaction with Victor and that you would like to play with? Um, hmm. Well, I must say, I hated I hated to see Eileen go. You know, Eileen Davidson, who played Ashley. Mm-hmm. I hated to see her go. I I, I respected her enormously, and and uh, uh, I hated to see her go. To be frank with you. Um, beyond that, I um, I thought the scenes with with Michael Evans, who played Douglas, were always fun to do. Um, Help me, but I can't think of anything else right now. Um, is, is there anyone from any other shows that you would like to ever work with? 
any other any other soap operas or anyone. Well, working with Jeannie Francis was very nice. Uh, she is very good at what she does. A uh, very kind person and a damn good actress. And uh, that was she was great fun to work with. I must say. Yeah. Beyond that, no, I, I can't really say that. Um, my extent of watching television is I watch our show sometimes, and uh, I mostly watch sports and and uh, the more serious news and uh, documentaries, and that's about the extent of it, you know. And I'm a huge fan of Seinfeld. <laughs> I watch Seinfeld just just to laugh. At the end of the day, my wife and I watch Seinfeld. Awesome. Oh, thank. You. Oh, it's been an honor to speak to you, Eric. It's, it's All right, Dan. <laughs> Can't wait to tell my mom. <laughs> All right, man. Be cool. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, thank Dan. you so much. Bye, bye. Uh-huh. Bye, bye. All right, Dorothy from Maryland. Go ahead. Hi, Eric. Hello, Dorothy. It's very wonderful to talk to you. Um, All right. I have a question for you. Are you surprised by the intensity of your fans that you, the Y and R, can keep fans for thirty years? Uh, I am surprised, but I'm very, very grateful that that is so, you know, and I think that is testimony to to the various writers we have had on the show and um, to the other actors and, and, and um, everyone who works on the show. But I, uh, you know, we have a lot of very good actors on the show, and obviously the writers have mostly to do with it. So I'm very grateful for that. And, yeah, am I surprised? You bet. I really am. That people um, have stayed with us that long. I so appreciate hearing your story because I've been watching since 73, and certainly the Y and R characters become very real to us. And then, yeah. you know, we read about you and we read about your personal lives, and you become like family. So to hear your story is just terrific. So it's, thank you very much for sharing that. Uh, well, thank you for calling, Dorothy. That's very nice. Thank you so much. Yes. Bye-bye Thank now. you, Dorothy. Thank you. All right. Well, we have another Maryland call. This time is Debbie from Maryland. Go ahead. Uh, hello, Mr. Newman. Hello, Debbie. Hello, <laughs> you? This is a thrill of a lifetime. I cannot even believe that I'm speaking to you. Um, That's nice. I know that you say that you have to continue the drama constantly, but could Nikki and Victor please? I think they've had enough drama for a billion lifetimes. Please, 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 please keep them together. Yeah. Um, it's been it's been one of the joys of the past month to see the last couple of weeks end with Nikki and Victor on a Friday afternoon. Happy, well, that's, that's happy, so nice. I thrilled. Must say that is that is really nice to hear, uh, and therefore I must say I'm. I'm I'm uh, grateful that I that Mel talked me into the Twitter thing um, because I, I get a lot of that that feedback. That's interesting. Um, yeah, my seventy-two yeah. year old my seventy-two year old mother and I, who uh, I'm fifty now, have been watching since the very beginning, and we're just lifetime fans. And we were both just calling each other back and forth on Friday, saying, "Oh my God, they're finally back together again." <laughs> um, one, my main question, I guess, is: um, Is there any talk at all around around the the, uh, the set there about possibly making tag and grab real, and that we could possibly have a fire sale? Because I would love to have something from the Newman Ranch. That is so funny. I have no idea, to be honest with you. I, well, I, tell them that they need to have a fire sale and they need to sell so everything from yes. that set because I I would buy so much of it, I can't even Oh, my it. God, that is that is funny. 
I, uh, you know, I think women are very attached to. I think women are more attached to homes and and, and places like that. Don't you? I actually have a green Chippendale sofa just like that in my living room. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. Well, um, to be honest with you, to be very frank with you, I used to come in sometimes and I said, "Damn it, <laughs> it's so damn old this place. It belongs to the Smithsonian, you know." And um, so, when are we going to revamp this place? But um, I understand how people become attached. And Melody was very attached to it. She was she was kind. Of, she was rather upset when it when it mm. burned down. I must say, I I too um, realized it was sort of an end of something. Um, but then you know, people go through that. Well, you should go onto onto YouTube and just type in Newman Ranch Memories and look at all of the videos that are posted, and you will cry when you see the transformation of that room over the years. And you and Melody through the years, you know, long hair, short hair, young, old. It just, it just, it's just wonderful. And I mean, I've been, cry- I cried all weekend because someone's been posting all these videos up there of just how the room has changed. And really? and we finally saw, you know, Victoria's bedroom in one, you know, one year. And we saw, yeah. finally saw the ranch and you riding through the woods to go meet Ashley. And yes. it's just there was things, there were scenes that they were very rare that you got to see outside that room, but. Well, I certainly hope that is that they will rebuild um, the ranch house. And uh, um, yeah, yeah, it just seems I, like all the kids are living on the property. The main house has to be rebuilt. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. So, uh, but well, thank you very much. That's very nice of you. I mean, that's very interesting to hear that people were that attached to it, and uh, uh, that's that's nice to hear. And that's why I said. I am glad that I started Twitter now because I'm getting that kind of feedback, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, just jump onto YouTube and do a search for Newman Ranch Memories, and you'll you'll yeah. relive all of it with us. Thank you very you see, much. See, you see, when you are, let me just quickly add to this: when you are in the business that we are in, um, you become so cynical about about a lot of it, and it is very important to be in touch with with fans who are not cynical about it. Because we as actors obviously think about, you know, the business, and and um, uh, you never know how long people will be on a show. Because you see all mm-hmm. kinds of people suddenly they're gone, mm-hmm. and uh, so one never really, I never really allow myself the luxury of feeling any sense of permanence in, in our business. I have been an actor since 1962. I have seen so many people come and go. You have no idea. And it's it's so you constantly keep up your fighting spirit to to survive in this business, and I don't allow myself really to become attached to too many things because it becomes too painful to then let go of it. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it's, it's, we all cried with Melody last weekend. We 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 all cried. <laughs> yes, well, and I cried with her. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so. Um, I appreciate what you're saying, and um, but I have a feeling that they will rebuild, um, rebuild that house. You know. Okay. okay. All right. Well, thank you. And if they didn't, if they didn't burn all of it, we would like to buy some of it. They can post it on eBay. I will. I will tell them about. It. You say hello to your mother. Thank you. Okay. She'll love thank that. You, all right. Bye bye. Bye bye. 
All right, we're going to take one more call so we can wrap up this hour with Eric. Uh, so, Chris from Denver, you're the last call. Go ahead. Hi, Eric. How are you? Hey, Chris. How are you doing? Good. Um, I've been, I'm a third-generation watcher of Young and the Restless. been watching it since 1986 Whoa. in my family, and there's four generations of, of fans total. Um, I loved hearing you talk about the uh, NFL earlier because I've often felt that the only fans more passionate than soap fans are football fans. <laughs> right. And uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the show. Like, uh, in the last probably six years, I really felt like a lot of it changed um, in the year after Bill Bell Sr. passed. Right. You guys talk a lot about the state of the industry on the set and where soaps are going and what you guys need to be doing to stay relevant? Mm, uh, yes, inevitably one does. But to be honest with you, as actors, we have no, we have very little influence over where a storyline is going. And these discussions obviously happen uh, between networks and, and, and the writers and, and Sony, and I'm sure that they mm-hmm. discuss all that. So, But do we sometimes? Yes, of course we do, uh, because it affects us. Um, yes, certainly, okay. and, and 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 sometimes with a certain amount of trepidation. You know, you uh, right. see the soaps around you um, go the way they have gone, and it's substituted, I think, with a lot of bullshit. So, uh, right. um, you know, so-called reality shows. I mean, give me a break. Anyway, I don't want to talk about that. I I'm against right. those things. <laughs> Being a proud member of, of the Screen Actors Guild and AFTRA, I'm against all those cheapy shows where they don't really, um, where the actors, I don't, I, I, they're not even actors, supposedly. I don't know what they are. And, right. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's an insult. Anyway, such an insult. Right. And one more question. Um, you often mentioned, mentioned that you don't get starstruck, but you're a big fan of Meryl Streep. Um, would you ever use the opportunity to work with her if you had the option to? <laughs> I certainly would. Uh, my God, I am a huge she's fan. She's amazing. I think she is. She's an incredible genius applied to anyone in our business, it applies to her. Uh, Absolutely. I used to work with, I mean, years ago, one of my first films was with Marlon Brando, who was a similarly gifted actor. And um, But I would say Meryl Streep um, is... is it's about the height of what you can do in our business. She's extraordinary. Just mm-hmm. extraordinary. Yes, she is. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking my call today. You're welcome, great man. Pleasure you, you guys have a, you used to have a great quarterback with John Elway, and now you're Peyton Manning, another great quarterback. Oh, yes. It's a whole new day down here. It was very exciting watching the game. Oh, you're you're lucky. Against San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Yes. Well, thank you. Be cool. Thank you, Chris. Yep. Uh, for listeners, in case you haven't been, you can go to Eric Braden's website at ericbraden.com, and you can also uh, read no, it's at, at eBraden. Oh, website. Oh, yes, yeah, right. Listen, forgive me. I, all this highfalutin technical stuff, but I guess it's ericbraden.com. And, and then, then Twitter is eBraden. That's it. Yeah, That's so it. follow Eric. He he responds to everyone, and he's uh, he's very you're you're very very uh, good with the your fans. And let me just say thank you so much for this opportunity. I've I've talked to uh, Melody and and about sixty percent of the current cast, and uh, to to be able to have this chance with you today has just been a blessing and an honor. So I would like to invite you back in the spring and catch up with you and see how things are going then. Anytime, Doug. You're obviously a very nice man, and thank you for doing what you're doing, and uh, be cool. All right. Uh, so springtime, you bet. 
Okay. All right, and and thank give Dale give, give Dale my love too. I will do that. Thank All right. you very thank much. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Good night. Bye bye. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening in today with our uh, early uh, early afternoon interview with Eric Braden. Uh, I'll be back on Wednesday with Blake Barris, who plays Nick Fallon on Days of Our Lives. Uh, next month, i got a big roster of people coming. I just haven't released the November uh, calendar yet, but I will tell you that Jeannie Cooper is coming, who plays Catherine Chancellor. Uh, I'm working on getting Brittany Underwood from Hollywood Heights. Michael Damien, who plays Danny Romilotti, will be back to join us. Uh, Donna Mills, as you know uh, from Knott's Landing, will be joining me. Um, and got a couple other surprises coming up. So thank you for tuning in. You can follow me at On Air with Doug uh, on Twitter, and I will see you next time. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Five, four, three, two, one, zero.